0: You're listening to Bell Book and Candle with Mela Borowski. Thoughts from a Southern Witch. Should have studied witchcraft. Should have learned to ride a broom. So me and my black cat could fly through the skies underneath the moon. Hi, y'all. It's Mela Borowski. Last week, you heard the story of my early years, the traumatic building blocks of what I brought with me into adulthood. From my birth to living in a religious cult, abuse. I carried that pain for a long time. If you haven't listened to last week's episode yet, I encourage you to go back and listen to that one first. So I was about 16 when I finally stood up for myself against the physical abuse. I had enough. And I'd been talking at the dinner table, already a bad idea and I mentioned something had happened two Sundays ago. My dad got upset, and I didn't understand why, and he asked me to repeat myself. So I did. Every time he asked me to repeat myself, I would. I didn't know I was doing anything wrong, and I kept saying, two Sundays ago. I didn't realize that I was supposed to be saying two weekends ago, and I got beat for that. I remember my dad holding me against the wall and screaming at me. His glasses were forming into one big lens. I think I was more angry than anything. I tried to do the right things. Even my language would get me in trouble. I couldn't win. I really did feel like he was right. I was worthless. I can't even speak correctly. But I remember telling my mother on the porch after that, that if he ever physically put a hand on me again, that I would be gone and they would never see me again. And he never physically hurt me again, but the emotional and the verbal abuse did intensify until by the time I was regularly for college, I fought for being able to live on campus just to get away from home. Even living on campus, I remember being on restriction from music for something I'd done. I don't even remember what it was. And yes, I lived in so much fear and them telling me that they would know, they would know if I listened to music that I did not listen to music during that restriction even though I was living on campus. It was in Bible college, in 1990 that I began to learn about the world outside of the cult I'd grown up in. I learned how to interpret the Bible in hermeneutics class and I came back to my mom and said that our church was not interpreting the Bible in the right way. They were picking and choosing verses, not looking at context or anything, not using any of the things that I'd learned in hermeneutics class to really figure out what it meant. So little by little, oddly enough, I began to see the horror of the church's teachings in Bible college. And that influenced my mother's ideas as well. I was still seeking something that would take away my emptiness, my depression, my pain. I'd always wanted to teach. And as a teenager, I got involved in a mission organization that allowed me to teach children, and later on, even adults. I loved it, and I needed the community. I was so broken, really. But when I was with my new friends, when I could stand in front and teach, it felt like I was finally worthwhile. I got a job working as a children's minister at a local Presbyterian church. I gave the children's sermon each Sunday, and I taught children's church on Sunday, and I did a weekly children's class there. And then I later went overseas as a missionary with the same organization that I'd been part of since I was a teenager. I imagined that I would become a missionary, a teacher, a world traveler. But when I came back, things changed for me. I realized when I was over in Cyprus that I was totally unprepared. I was completely naive, and I needed real-world experience. So I took a job as a secretary for a sound and light company. I ended up meeting the man that I married during that year that I worked at the company. And if you remember from last week, this was also about the time that a repressed memory returned of being molested by my pastor as a child, and all that shit got stirred up. And in the midst of all this, we got married in 1996 in April at the church while I was um, still a children's minister. People from my old church came to the wedding. Not everybody, but some of them came, which surprised me because it was at a Presbyterian church and they were all about not being involved in other types of churches. There were some decent people back then. I may not agree with their beliefs even today. But some of the ladies and even a few of the men always treated me well. It was mainly the leadership. Though it probably won't shock you if you heard my story last week to know that some of the old church people cornered my parents at the wedding reception to let them know that it wasn't right that I was marrying a man with earrings. It's probably a good thing that they didn't know he was a drummer in a rock band because that would probably cause a lot more trouble. I didn't even hear about it until recent years. But apparently during the ceremony, someone made a comment about my husband's earrings. And a man I still respect to this day turned around and told them, this is not about that. This is about their wedding. When my Uncle Bebo died a few months later of complications from AIDS, I was so devastated. I still had my grandmother-mama, and she ended up moving to Georgia to be with her other son. But by the time my Uncle Bebo died in June of 1996, right after my wedding, my body had turned against me. I was extremely sick, and I had to give up working. We had to sell my car and even move because we couldn't afford our home with only my husband working. I had been very active before that. I loved mountain biking hiking, traveling, and within months of my wedding, I had trouble just getting out of bed. I was in severe pain and I was so tired that I could barely go from one room to the other. Yeah, I heard it all from it being from sin, that I was lazy, get up off my ass and get a job. And if I could have done that, I would have done that. I did not enjoy my life. It became a vicious cycle. I already had deep issues and trauma and pain that I'd never dealt with. And my therapist told me later that I was depressed since I was a child. But when I also grew physically sick and my life totally changed, it fed into the depression big time. And then the more depressed I became, the more my body hurt. It ended up being various things wrong with me, we did find out that I must have picked up something while overseas um, that triggered something or another doctor said well maybe it was the birth control pills that you took right before your wedding they triggered something I don't know but after about a year of seeing a bunch of doctors probably every test in tarnation they ruled out things like lupus all the all the major things And they ended up diagnosing me with fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue syndrome. There were so many doctor bills, our first year of marriage, um, so many tests, hospital, travel, just all those tests to get to doctors. Um, We actually went bankrupt. We had to declare bankruptcy because of our doctor bills. That happens to a lot of people. And it was not a great way to start a marriage, I could tell you that. So I took my oldest son just a few months um, after he was born to visit MaMa in Georgia. And during that visit, I woke up to screaming in the house as my aunt had discovered that my grandma had died in her sleep. She had lung cancer, but she'd been doing so well. It was a shock, I mean, an absolute shock. The devastation that I felt when I lost my Uncle Bebo paled in comparison to losing Mama. Because I felt in my deepest heart and soul that the only two people who truly loved and accepted me had just been ripped from my life. I felt even more lost, alone, and empty. I was diagnosed with PTSD, which still crops up now and then from that situation. Um, I can still remember her the night before coming out, getting some candy. She stood in the doorway watching us play cards. That was the last I'd see her alive. I brought my son to see her that weekend. He was less than six months old at the time. And I wish that they could have known her. She was in her early 60s. She was very young. My life became a blur after that. I was rebellious in ways I couldn't be when most people experience rebellion in your teenage years. So I was in my very early 30s and I started dyeing my hair blue-black. I always would say that I wanted to look like a raven's feather. I stopped going to church when I physically could not go to church and, and I never went back. No one ever checked on me. No one from the church called to see why suddenly I wasn't there anymore. I think my husband was being fed harmful things from outside sources about me being lazy, living in sin, using up his generosity, and even that I was influenced by demonic sources. We grew apart. I didn't feel like he really saw me. I felt like I was at the bottom of his list of importance, and I needed him at that time to make me feel important because I felt so worthless, and I hated myself. In an odd twist, he had become religious about the same time that I'd pretty much shaken off religion entirely. I, at one point in my life, hated the idea of God, the God that I'd been taught to trust as a child. If God was love, why did he take away the only two people that truly loved me. Why was I so empty? Why could I never do anything right? Why was I alone? I fed myself so many lies, all those things I'd hidden deep in my shadow, that I was worthless. I never amount to anything. I was a failure, a failure, a failure. This echoed in my head. I wrote very dark poetry. Don't we all in that situation? I feel like I'm such a cliche sometimes. But I had to get all those things out of my head into poetry on paper. And my family had grown. Um, Not only did I have the son that I had taken to see my grandma who was born in January, 98. I had my second son in 99. They were 18 months apart. And I thoroughly convinced myself that I was harming my children and everyone that knew me by continuing to stay alive. And this was about the time that my husband and I separated for the first time. He took the kids. They were young. I think my oldest was kindergarten, first grade at the time. And because I physically, emotionally, mentally was unable to care for them, they went with him. My mother visited me, which she didn't really do all that often. She had all her own issues going on at this time. And I remember letting her read one of my poems that I'd written pretty recently. I, I wrote it at that house, and it was called Precious Treasures. Precious Treasures. My burial shroud is pink silk with three pearly buttons down the front. I pulled it on and stared in the mirror, brushed my hair, sobriety unseen. Gray wooden planks screamed my approach. I open the door and I stand at the threshold. Three steps to freedom, short walk to doom. I walked to the path of destruction, but something caught my eye. Late Sunday night, the moon so high, it lit the yard and there it was. A lost trinket from a sunny day. A quarter hid in the short grass. I tried to walk beside it. This was for the best. This was for their best. Yet the silver stayed in my vision. Over I bent to pick up the coin in my hand. I raised my fist to throw it, but couldn't. My soul screamed for release, but my heart clung to its covering. Tears fell as I ran barefoot in pain, sliced by the road. I stopped and turned around. My house was lit up by the lights, my son's precious treasure in hand. A failure. I can't even end my life. Now I sit pinning this tale, wondering if there will be another. So I was writing a lot of poetry. And um, what was the point that you
1: realized that I needed to get major help? I would come over and you would show me the different poems that you wrote. And they were really dark. A lot of them was really dark. And some of them were funny. Some of them were telling your story of what you went through. And I thought, oh, this is healthy because it's getting, getting it out. And journaling and writing, I think, is a very good way of dealing with pent-up emotions. But there was this one poem, about a quarter, that I started reading, and after I read through it, I said, You're, this is about you. And she said, yes. I said, you need to pack some clothes because I'm taking you to the hospital. <laughs> and so I packed up yes. and
0: I came to your house and I was in the middle hospital the next day.
1: No, we took you straight to the hospital right then. Okay. And when you got out of the hospital, you came to the house because there was no one to be with you at home. Your kids were already been taken over to their other grandmother because they felt like you weren't safe for them to be around. And you were isolating yourself and isolated at home.
0: It was a very dark time. And I was separated from my husband at the time. Um, But I ended up getting help from that.
1: Yes. And they had to try a lot of different medications, but you needed something to get pull you out of that. I think I believe that you were in very deep postpartum depression is what triggered the the really bad depression. Mm-hmm. But once your depression started lifting, then things started getting better.
0: I was diagnosed with double depression, which what they told me is I lived my life in a depressed state. But then I had got a depressive state on, on top of that. Mm-hmm. So I had double depression along with um, a lot of other things that, that were going on. So um what what's your favorite poem that I wrote?
1: Dilly Dally Heidi Ho.
0: Dilly Dally Heidi Ho. Life is, like a, is sick- like a sick game show. First your name is called to the front, then your ass is given the punt. And then at the final round, your sorry body is shoved in the ground. That would not be the first time I'd be put in the mental hospital. That first time I was on the floor that they actually tried to help you. I had support groups, great art therapy classes, workshops. I learned a lot and they put me on medication and they released me. The second time, not so much. I was put on the floor with people with major schizophrenic episodes. We did not have support groups or art therapy or classes or anything, unless you want to call the coloring books and crayons that were scattered around the floor as your art therapy. We were medicated, watched at all times through video surveillance, and it was miserable. I had a major allergic reaction to one of the new meds I'd been put on before that second visit and it had created some pretty severe hallucinations. And I'd been put there for my safety and everyone around me. When uh, they found me to take me, I was cowering in the corner of my bedroom. I saw blood flowing down all the walls of my room and I'd been hearing the birds outside my window tell me to kill, kill. Yeah, that was pretty scary. So I had some really good psychiatrists and therapists in my life and some terrible ones. And in the end, I was diagnosed not only with double depression, anxiety, panic attacks, PTSD, schizoaffective disorder, but also the big boom of it all, borderline personality disorder. I also had postpartum depression after my second child but things made sense i hate labels i really do i've been labeled all my life but you don't know how bittersweet it is to finally know what the hell is wrong with you so that you can move forward the death match from the book tyranny of hope by pamela borowski I found myself too busy and didn't give death his due, so death paid me a visit and such a fuss did ensue. He asked why I didn't meet him as I promised that I would. I stuttered and mumbled and stammered and shrugged as before him I stood. He didn't quite like my silence. Eyes darkened as he stared, bony gaunt hands tapped together if only I'd been prepared. Now death's no respecter of persons. Hell, he took both my uncle and Graham. Now he stands here to claim me, Seems my hourglass is out of sand. Each day that I fight against him, I find I grow weaker still. What a struggle it is to resist him. One day I will falter. But till, till that day overpowers me, till my life draws to a close, till my eyes shut forever, I fight for the
1: sake of my soul.
0: Let me backtrack a moment and tell you a story between those two hospital stays. After the first separation from my husband, when I had told him to leave, we got back together. My youngest son was really suffering without me. I could see it when I'd visited with him. I went back mainly because my children needed me. We're getting to mid thirties here. I was exploring Druidry as much as my mind and body allowed me to do so. And I still hated myself. I still felt empty. I still hurt myself so that I could feel something, anything. I still ended up being suicidal. My hallucinations, visions, auditory hallucinations were often overwhelming. My marriage was crumbling. And so I agreed to go to my husband's church for marriage counseling. I thought it was going well until it wasn't. And I decided that I was done. He continued to see that counselor and one day he came home and said I had to pack up and leave. He'd been counseled to remove me from the home. I wasn't willing to do what they wanted me to do to fix my marriage. There was talk of satanic influence and basically it was the whole scenario my mother mentioned last week. Let the unbeliever depart. On top of that, they encouraged him to not let me be around my children Due to a belief that I might be demon possessed or at the very least deeply influenced by demons and I would be a bad influence on my children that's what they called my mental illness hey throw in the fact that I've had spiritual gifts such as clairvoyance since I was a child that I tried to squash out for being a sin and I'm an empath I've had uh, major chemical imbalances but no 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 the age-old demon possession still was tossed out, and it made me wonder, was I even living in modern times? Tyranny of Hope by Mella Borowski from the book Tyranny of Hope. There is a tyranny of hope which attaches itself to an unspoiled life, shattered, Perhaps next time. Hope is this thing with feathers that takes chunks from our flesh, then flaps away with but a mellowing laugh left in its wake. Battered. It won't happen again. Slammed against the cold wall of reality, it makes you open your eyes to the foolishness of thinking tomorrow will be a better day. Tattered. Where's the bright side? torn and tormented, yet still pressing onwards to a dream so real, like a mirage which never quite seems to be attainable. So, due to the fear put on him by outside sources, people he trusted, he was terrified of me and my influence. And while I'd rather have stayed in my home with my children and had him leave, I went ahead and left and moved in with my parents. That fear that he'd been influenced by caused him to only want supervised visitation with my children. It hurt so bad, y'all. And I was angry. I was angry because I was struggling. I was sick, sick. In The church and my husband, I felt like I got tossed out. I was worthless. That's what I thought. I sought a legal separation and intended on divorcing him when that year of required separation was up. And during that year, while living with my parents, they got me involved in one of the most life-changing therapies in my entire life. DBT, or Dialectical Behavior Therapy. At the time, it was pretty new around here. There weren't many that offered it, but I got in and I did the work and it changed my life. And it's not just for people with borderline, but at the time, it was specifically used for people with borderline personality disorder, especially people engaged in harmful behavior and suicidal tendencies, which comes with borderline. I learned a lot, but at the base of it all, I learned to love myself. And that absolutely changed my world. Learning to love myself saved my marriage. It saved my life. When I wasn't looking for anyone else, including my husband or some divine source or anything or anyone else to give me importance and make me feel worthwhile, my worldview shifted. I began to love myself deeply. I began to heal trauma and those ticker tape negative ideas that blackened everything in my life before would change out. I got help reprogramming my subconscious and in learning to love myself, I was able to face everything about myself, the good, the bad, the ugly, things I'd hidden. I began to embrace I began to openly embrace a spiritual path. I'd walk in sort of a semi-secret paganism. At the time, I didn't even know what the term shadow work was, but that's what I was doing. And DBT doesn't claim to be a shadow work therapy, but now that I have my own clients and I guide them through their own shadow work, I use ideas and concepts from DBT all the time. There were a lot of things in my life that I had to decide, is this just who I am? And that's kind of the accept accepting part of shadow work. Do I need to shift this a little bit to make it useful? That's the integration. And some stuff you just got to release. Some shit just needs to go. And so that's the three things. You can accept, you can integrate, or you can release when you're doing shadow work and something comes up. One of the things that I decided to accept about myself and not hide anymore was that I had something called prosopagnosia. I am face blind and I have it pretty badly. I have driven past my own children in the car pickup line in their elementary school. I have pretended almost my entire life that I knew people when I had no clue they were. I could not recognize them. I cannot recognize faces. When I learned to love myself and everything about myself, I started telling people about that. I started letting people know, hey, this exists. And hey, why don't you tell me your name um, when you come up to me and don't take it negatively if I have to ask you what your name is, even though I've known you for the past 20 years. That was huge. I had developed so many ways of taking care of myself. And even my husband, would he would say things in such a way when we'd meet someone so that I'd remember who they were. Now, I can recognize voices a lot of times, hairstyles, how people walk. I cannot recognize faces. It's, it is really very difficult in life. But I accept that about myself now and I make it known. And people are really great about helping me out with that. I also worked on publishing a book of the poems from my darkest days with the help of my mother. So tell me what you remember from my darkest periods. Um, What do you recall as being some of the worst moments of my life?
1: Well, one thing you were doing, you were hurting yourself. You were scalding yourself, scratching at yourself, cutting yourself, pulling your hair out, different things like that. And I couldn't stand to see you in so much pain and not knowing what to do to help you. And so we had to learn to uh, trust each other. And, And I think the hardest thing, too, is when you didn't feel like nobody felt like you were safe to be around your own children and you loved them with all your heart and you would never want to bring harm to them. And so when you couldn't be around your kids, that you felt like a, a unfit mother, unworthy mother, uh, and having to go through different medications and the reactions and side effects from those made things worse sometimes. hmm And being sick and throwing up and nauseous and just different things. And it was so hard, but you kept trying and you kept trying. And you, would, you lived in fear because you would see things that weren't there. You would hear things weren't there. You would have nightmares and you'd wake up in cold sweats. And it was just really hard seeing you go through all that, especially when some of it was brought on by the medicines they were giving you. But yet without the medicines, you were worse off. And we tried really hard to help you get on the right medicines where you. would weren't just a zombie. You just existed. Nobody wants to just exist. I think sometimes you went through just surviving and then you went to existing and now you're living. Yeah. Finally. Definitely.
0: And you helped me a lot um, by uh, helping me with the poems that I was writing. How did that process go as, as far as
1: healing as well? the poems you were writing, you would want me to read them. And I thought you were wanting me to check for any mistakes or spellings or periods or whatever. And so when I would show something, you would get very offended. And I didn't understand at first, but I finally understood that this is you, this is, you're pouring your heart out, you're opening your heart to me and that you just wanted acceptance. It didn't matter whether it was perfect or not, It just acceptance was good enough And the different books that you wrote and so I had to learn to just accept what you wrote and it was okay, it was good enough and to tell you it was good enough and encourage you and you had to know that you could trust me that a lot of my judgment were not judgmental over you but just judging the words on the page. And so that was a process that we both worked back and forth through. And I think it was a healing process that that you would finally come to me and let me critique your work, And you were open to what I had to say. But yet I had to learn to be sensitive, not to judge the words on the page, just look for maybe any grammar or mistakes in it, or sometimes just trying to explain to me, what are you trying to say here? And so I think it was a good process. We worked together on that.
0: I think when I was trying to get that book together, that when I was sharing my poems with you, it was like I was opening up my heart and all my emotions were really raw. And I was scared that you were going to see the, the real me and the true me and like all the negative things that I had thought. And so when you would say oh well you could probably say that statement better or something like that I took it extremely personally because I thought you were telling me that my feelings were wrong and that I shouldn't be feeling that way and I shouldn't have those emotions so I think that when when the book figuratively got pulled out of my heart and it became its own thing a book of poetry then um, I didn't have like that umbilical cord (laughs) Still attached to me, and it was more of its own thing. And I could, I could enjoy and look forward to you helping me make it better. And it wasn't a sensitive personal thing, but the first go through, it was just like I was opening up my all the darkest emotions, and I was extremely sensitive and just feeling uh, like I was being rejected personally when you would reject every little thing
1: that I wrote well it was painful reading the poems because once I understood that it was your heart being opened out you were telling me your experiences and how you felt the best way you knew how so it was very painful reading those poems because I knew the meanings behind a lot of the poems what you were referring to and things so that was painful to do that so it was a healing process for me to be able to hear you and to listen and to accept where you were and to stop being hurt by it because I knew my part that was in some of those things. But it, it was a healing process for both of us. And I was it was a turning point in our relationship, I think.
0: It was definitely a huge healing process for me, knowing that you cared about me enough to help me go through that. And you've continued to support and help me grow and get me the help I need through the years. I really appreciate that. I love you. I love you too. The divorce never happened. My children still needed me. My husband and I were on the road to starting some healing in our marriage. We weren't completely there yet, but we'd started. My husband told me the ground rules to come back were that I could not have tarot or oracle cards or anything like that in the home. Okay, I could do that for my children. I could still walk my path without having divination tools in the house. I would be lying if I said we didn't continue to struggle because we did. And for a while I would tell myself, just get the kids through school, just get the kids through school. If I'm still unhappy when my children graduate, we'll get a divorce. I remember one time begging him to get himself a girlfriend. I remember times when he had his own life and I had my own life and very rarely did it intersect. I did what I wanted to do. And if that meant jumping on a plane and visiting a friend out of state, I'd do it. If it meant spending every weekend at my parents' house writing a book, that's what I did. We lived together but apart. But in the process, he was healing and I was healing even more.
1: So you've been in my life a good long time now. Yeah, about a half a century. Yeah,
0: I'm almost 50, so a good long time. And um, you have been there, even when I don't remember, you remember a lot of things that happened through my life during my darkest times, my depression, being suicidal, uh, wanting to hurt myself, hating myself. And then where I am now, at almost 50 years old. But what do you, as my mother, see as the biggest difference or the change from um, all the
1: trials
0: and tribulations that I've been through my life, to my life to now.
1: Well, one of the things that makes me happy is the way your eyes light up and sparkle when you discover new things, like when you were a, a toddler and a kid and you'd find something new and and you'd hold it up as look and say, look, and your eyes would be sparkling, everything new that you found you were so excited about. And you lost that sparkle in your eyes. And so that makes me the happiest is to see that sparkle and zest for life come back.
0: I definitely th- feel like I have a lot more um, to live for and just simple things make me very happy that I did not have for a. A good portion of my life mm-hmm.
1: well i wish that you know things could have been different and and you know everybody does everybody wishes they would have went back and they could change things but but sometimes you know, the hard things makes us learn and forces us to learn a new way of looking <laughs> at things a new way
0: mm-hmm. i th- i think that um all the things that I went through, even though I would, I wish that I would not have to go through that. Um, that it made me a more compassionate person, and it allowed me to actually feel I'm an empath, so I feel it even stronger. And who knows how much of my depression was from other people? I don't know, but um, a lot of it was from myself, um, and it be and it just became where I could feel what other people were going through and people could look at me and they would know that I wasn't just listening, that I understood deeply. And it's made me a very compassionate person. I don't think that I ever would have been an unkind person, but my compassion um, and just desire to help people has been there for a long time. And that compassion has been able to bloom uh, even in my darkest points, I still had compassion for people. I just didn't have a lot of compassion for myself at the time.
1: Mm, Yeah, I can see that. And and you have taught me so much and watching you discover and grow and find out what you believe and don't believe, and and even surviving through all the judgment from other people and us trying to encourage one another that to help with what they have to say, we have to be our own selves. Mm-hmm. And you've really helped me to, to let go of beating myself up for the things that I allowed to happen, the things that I did, the things I participated in mm-hmm. that caused a lot of pain to my kids. And I'm very thankful that, that we have the relationship that we have now and that we're friends now mm-hmm. and that you sometimes mentor me, sometimes I mentor you, mm-hmm. but we grow growing together. That's right. I know one of the diagnoses that you were given was being borderline. And the one question that they always seem to ask borderline, do you how, do you feel empty inside? And pretty much any borderline will say yes. So do you still feel that emptiness inside you?
0: No. I um, can't say that I'm a completely recovered borderline um, personality disorder person. <laughs> But I don't feel empty. I still struggle with a lot of the things that I struggled with in the past. And I've I've learned ways to kind of battle that, of feeling like I'm a perfectionist at times and that tends to hurt, feeling rejection when even something that happened within the past week or two, my immediate response was being abandoned. I was being abandoned. And that's a borderline response. And that's something that's deeply ingrained in me. And even though I tell myself that's not what it was, I do have those tools to be able to tell myself and walk myself through to find out the real true story. Um, So I still struggle with those traits, but I don't feel empty. I'm not hurting myself trying to feel alive anymore. Um, I am at peace, I'm fulfilled
1: and I am no longer empty. That's really good. I know you did DBT training, which was very good. That was life-changing. And then you learned mindfulness. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that's really good is that as you have grown, you have taken me on your journey and you have taught me those skills. And that's really helped me a lot too. And I really appreciate that.
0: Well, I'm glad that you were there with me. Going on this journey, dialectical behavior therapy, I highly recommend. That's what the DBT stands for. Highly recommend that to anyone. You don't have to be borderline for that. It has some really good skills to uh, become resilient and to deal with stress um, and all the different things in life. And so I ended up going to school in my 40s and becoming um, a spiritual coach. I got a certificate in hypnotherapy and I started a business and my mom has been there along the whole road. In fact, she was the one that uh, told me that I really should look into hypnosis. Why did you tell me that I should look into hypnosis?
1: I had different doctors, you know, I was hypnotized uh, by one counselor for anger. I had a lot of anger and I was very resistant to it and we were told. Uh, Brainwashing to believe you never let your mind go blank, but so I did it reluctantly. But actually, felt better. And then I went through different hypnosis to try to lose weight. But all these things kept coming up. And I found out that if you can go back to the source in your subconscious and see when you first told yourself something or made that promise to yourself, and you see it in the light that you're in now, so many years of counseling could not help me that one session of hypnosis did. And I really believe that hypnosis gets to the root of the problem more than any other therapy that I've ever done.
0: I've seen it change people's lives and in, in my clients just with one session. definitely just hit the highlights of my life story hey who knows maybe one day if you're truly interested in my story i'll actually have written the book that people have asked me to write about it i've always had a drive to help people and this drive allowed me to go back to school in my 40s to start my business three rays of light to start a pagan circle called i Grove fellowship so if you've been thinking about going back to school and following your dreams i don't care how old you are do it I did the whole nine yards, school loans, Pell Grant, all that, and I love what I do now. My diploma, it as an integrative healing arts practitioner, and my focus was on hypnosis, which I'm now certified in, as well as life coaching and spiritual studies. I combined my certifications for life coaching and spiritual studies into spiritual coaching, and I was ordained as a pagan minister while I was in the school. I've been leading community full moon ceremonies and other rituals, performing weddings and rites of passage rituals for over a year now. I facilitate healing and that's my life purpose. I dragged myself out of the abyss. It's a miracle that I'm alive here today. An absolute miracle, no exaggeration. If things had gone differently, I wouldn't be here. But I am here and I'm here for a purpose. I'm here to help people who may be in the abyss right now too. And I feel like if I helped even just one person, I will have fulfilled my destiny to be here. And I'm so happy to know that I'm helping more than just one person. So where am I now? Holy shit, y'all. Let me tell y'all about another miracle. So two years ago, my parents offered family land to my husband and I. There was 10 acres in total. We ended up taking the offered one acre and buying two more acres from them. And we built us a house here. So we got a little farm going and that makes my Southern witchy heart swell. And my husband, we've never been closer as of now. And he supports me and I do mean he supports me. He's still a Christian but he supports my path. He sees how much I healed. He sees that my personal spiritual path doesn't hold me back. It gives me strength and purpose. You wanna know how much he supports me? I can tell you about him buying me witchy items for my altar and how I've got about 40 different tarot and Oracle card decks in our home right now. But let me just tell you that the man you hear speaking in my opening credits, that's my husband. I live on this land, not only with my family, but my sisters who were adopted, which I didn't even go into that story. But when I was a senior in high school, um, we adopted my sisters. So they live in their homes with their families um, beside me. And right behind them on five acres are my parents. So in 10 acres, I live with almost all of my family that in itself is a miracle. If you even knew the story between all of the families that live here, you would be shocked and amazed that we're here. But you do know the story of me and my parents. And so I just want you to know that healing can take place. Healing can happen. And I am proof of that. We are living together um, on this land. We see each other almost every day. We talk to each other. We help each other. We love and support each other. And if you would have asked me even 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago, if you would have asked me as a child if I ever thought I'd be living next to my parents or my sisters, I would have said, hell no. But things are different and healing has taken place. And we, we say that this land is a place of healing. And I bless this land constantly. I cleanse and clear this land, especially my part of it. And people come here to find their own healing as well. So I want you to know, even though this is a sad story, it does have a lot of terrible parts in it. But it made me the person that I am today compassionate healer and our family has healed and we live together on this land this healing land supporting each other my parents are involved in a lot of the ceremonies and rituals my husband he supports me we are stronger than we've ever been my children are here Uh, My youngest is in college. My oldest, he works. Healing can happen. And that is why I wanted to tell my story. Because you hear a lot of terrible stories, but you don't always hear that healing happened. But it did. And I want my clients and people that I'm around to know... That I have been there. I've been at the darkest, deepest pit. And I climbed out. And I want to help people do that. I sure do appreciate y'all listening to Bell Book and Candle. If you'd like to follow me, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Bell Book Candle SC. I have a Patreon, so if you'd like to support me there as a patron, it starts at a dollar a month, and you can find me there at Bell Book Candle. It's attached to a really great Discord chat, so if you're into Discord and you want to join me on my Bell Book and Candle Discord, I'd love to have you there. Y'all be blessed.